Welcome to the More Deals, More Money podcast. So this podcast is all about property deals and more money. So if you are in property, there's probably two things that you are always looking for. Number one, you're always looking for more deals. I know that I am, and I absolutely love chasing deals down. And I'm also looking for more investors all of the time. So then this is the show for you, because in this show, we talk to the deal makers, and deal funders to find out what makes deals stack and the nitty gritty about deals and what makes them work. Every episode, I'll be delving deep with a different guest to share their knowledge. This is something that I'm really passionate about. I absolutely love doing deals. So to do this podcast, to talk to people about deals and raising finance is fantastic for me. If you do like this show, please do hit subscribe and then you'll never miss an episode. And also, if you get one, just one snippet of advice from this show, do me a favor and share it with a friend. Let's share the love. So today's guest, today's guest runs a wicked little company and I love the branding and I'm really excited to chat to this guy. I've heard so many good things about him that it's been great to to get him on the show and talk to him. And that guy is Michael Primrose from The Property Finance Guy. How are you doing today? Not bad. Thank you very much for having me on. No, thank you for being on. So for the listeners who don't know you and um, who you are, why don't you give them a brief background of who you are and how it came to be where you're at today? Yeah, so a really brief background then. Uh, so I started off as a conveyancer, left school uh, as soon as I finished my A-levels, didn't go to university, uh, decided to go straight into work instead. Uh, became a conveyancer, did that for a few years. Uh, got a bit bored of the mundane, same in, uh, same out every single day of uh of residential conveyancing um so decided to go into a state agency thought go after the deals a bit get a bit more involved in uh the actual negotiation of a deal rather than sort of the, the processing that you have to do when you're a conveyancer um realized fairly rapidly that I, I wasn't a big fan of a state agency uh so I actually went back into conveyancing uh but on a more sort of residential stroke com- uh commercial level um did that for, for a little while. Unfortunately, it was made redundant um, and then sort of fell into to finance. Um, so initially started out as a sort of business development manager for a small brokerage. Uh, very quickly worked my way up to uh, become director of property finance. That was within probably six to nine months. So worked up very, very quickly. Um, was there for a couple of years before I realized I was basically just lining someone else's pockets. Uh, so in February of... 2018 uh decided to go out on my own um unfortunately got into a bad jv which ended very badly uh in october of 2018 uh, and then in november of 2018 launched the property finance guy uh so we're now just over a year old we've raised just shy of 50 million pounds uh for investors and developers uh doing new build developments refurbs conversions buy to lets commercial mortgages you name it um and yeah, seem to be expanding very, very quickly. Got a lot of mem- momentum behind us uh, to, to have a, a massive 2020. Um, so yeah, we're, we're like you said, a, a small company at the minute, but as, uh, sort of the aspiration is to be uh, much larger by the end of 2020, looking to take on probably another six or seven members of staff. Uh, so to take us into double digits, hopefully uh, at the beginning of 2021. Um, and yeah, just in general, just trying to build on like you said, there's a there's a lot of nice stuff being said about us in the market at the minute. Um, 
both from lenders, investors uh, alike. So it's yeah, it's nice to build on that, and yeah, hopefully have a, a big twenty twenty. Um, I have no doubt that you're going to have an absolutely massive twenty twenty. Everybody, I. I speak to or hear speak about you and the and the company. They only say they only say good things, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show and also and also chat to you. Um, so, my first question then is: um, What are some of the misconceptions then with property finance? Yes, yeah, so I suppose the the biggest misconception straight away uh, is that it's difficult, um, and a lot of people have this mental block that they can't obtain finance um, and that's that they can't obtain finance in any way. So whether it be that they can't get private investors, whether it be that they can't get debt, it's it's always the same mental block of, well, I, I can't do that, so I'm not going to try. Um, but what a lot of people don't realise is with your flips, refurbs, conversions, new build developments, whatever it may be, it's all asset-based all asset uh, lending. So as long as you've got a good deal, you can normally get finance pretty easily. Um, and whether that be debt or finding a private investor, there, there's so much money knocking about at the minute and, and rates are much lower than they've been for a while. Lenders are desperate to get the money out. Um, and same with private investors. When you see that savings accounts are getting half a percent to one and a half percent a year, and yet property developers, investors can offer them 10%, who isn't going to want? to chuck their money into into something like that. So in terms of that, that's the biggest misconception we get is that people think it's very, very difficult. It, there's a there's a very high uh, level of entry uh, and they, they seem to think that it's, it's difficult to get in. Um, and I think people need to just take a step back as long as they can find the deals, which by listening to podcasts like this and getting uh, involved with the right kind of people, it's very easy to find good deals again there's there's a more than enough good deals going around uh, for everyone to be more than happy and as long as you can find those deals that stack up as long as the profit profitability is there um, and as long as you're not riddled with ccjs and bankruptcy and uh, a lot of poor credit then actually there's there's no reason why you can't get in uh, in some way into the property market um so yeah i'd say that's that's definitely the biggest misconception that we we come across at the moment mm. and just sort of picking up on, a, on one of the things you said there you know the rates at the minute like i'm going I'm, I'm purchasing a building at the minute so don't know when this podcast will go out but the rate won't have changed and i'm using land bay and the rate yeah. incredible i cannot i cannot honestly believe the rate in which i'm getting from them yeah and it's, it's the same across the board it's it's incredible especially I mean, it's not just development finance, bridging, all these sort of things. It, it is on the buy-to-let side as well. It's it's incredible how the rates are coming down, um, and especially on commercial as well. A lot of uh, the commercial term products are coming down a bit as well. I mean, Shawbrook, for example, again, not sure when this is going to go out, but Shawbrook recently uh, have dropped their their interest rate across all their products by about half a percent, um, which is a massive, massive drop um, when you think in the grand scheme of things. So it's yeah, it's, it's a really good time to get into into property at the minute. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this is going to be a massive year and I think there's been so much pent-up money waiting for Brexit, waiting for the election, that yeah. now we have that Tory majority. You're, I'm already seeing it, not just in the property 
world, but I'm talking to other friends that I have that are in business and, you know, they've had a really quiet year last year in 2019. And now even in, we're recording this on the 13th of January, but already their phone has been buzzing from people about deals, about this. About, so it's just, it's just been an amazing start to the year already. Oh, definitely. I mean, we're, we're fully feeling the effects of what people are calling probably a, a Boris bounce. Um, I mean, we came into, it's a Monday today, uh, we've come into the office to 25 new inquiries. And you think, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's no other way of describing it other than ridiculous. It's, it's just unreal, the number of people that are, are now moving into sort of deploying these funds that they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the other thing we've seen as well is valuations as well uh, have been much kinder uh, in the last probably six weeks than they were before the election. Uh, before the election, there was a lot of uncertainty. We were seeing a lot of big down valuations. Uh, whereas now we're we're seeing actually figures coming back around where we anticipated them. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're not we're not seeing everyone getting the perfect valuation, but we're definitely seeing a much higher percentage getting the valuation that they want. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been positive in that sense as well. Just picking up on that quickly, what do you say to a client then that when they get the valuation that they a lower valuation from where they actually thought it was and did their due diligence on? Uh, well, it's normally fairly simple because actually the valuer normally gives. Um, so often the valuer will have explained why it's lower. Uh, so whether they've mentioned Brexit or whether they've just mentioned general demand in the area, um, it, it's normally fairly easy to explain. Um, and actually, if it's not, there tends to be something sort of fundamentally wrong with the valuation. Um, so it might be that if it can't be explained, it might be, well, actually, is, has this been done correctly? Do we need to go back with some comparables? What, what do we need to do to get this to where it needs to be? Um, so yeah, normally, it's fairly easy to explain because the value of actually, in, I mean, most valuations are sort of 40, 50 pages long. So there's you can normally find at least one paragraph that that gives some reasoning as to why they've sort of come up with the figures that they have. Um, so most clients will look at that and understand and, and actually will be all right with it. Um, I mean, not everyone. We, we will often get a client who uh, thinks that they're right and or knows that they're right um, and will will have to challenge it. Um, but yeah, most clients will, will take what the valuer says on board and either pull out of the deal or, or look to rework the figures in a way that, that suits them. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. I think that's, that's a really good answer. And um, when you were talking earlier about deals, there's plenty of deals out there. I mean, I, I genuinely agree. And I think there's always deals in any area. It's just depending on how hard you're going to work to get the deals. But what do you think that people could do more of before bringing a deal or a project to you? Yeah, so I suppose a lot of what we get, we we niche ourselves uh, a little bit to help with first-time developers. Um, so what I would say is that actually before you take a deal to a broker, make sure the numbers are correct because actually the number of deals that we get come across our desk that that they're they're not quite there um they're not quite the the polished pack that you would present to a lender um so we often have to spend quite a bit of time which i don't mind doing um going back and forth with the client just just to tighten those numbers up a little bit um 
And I, I think that can be really powerful because otherwise, and not all brokers do it, but what you'll find is if you're not sending the polish pack over to a lender, you often turn off a lender very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've, all, you've almost got to imagine it as like a dragon's den pitch. Um, if it's not there, if there's one number out of place, it gets picked up on straight away and they'll, they'll just pull out. Um, it, it's fairly simple for that. As, as you said, there's so many deals and so much money knocking about that, that no lender is tied into having to fund a deal. They're not desperate to do deals. Um, there's enough deals coming across their desk to keep them happy. So you've got to stand out early on. Um, so by getting your numbers spot on, that often is sort of your first step on the ladder uh, in, in terms of impressing them. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's got to be really polished. If it's not, not enough people do that, not enough people spend the time to polish their numbers and make sure that they're right. Um, so I think as long as you're doing that, you sort of have a fairly good chance of getting the funding. Um I think, yeah, if you if you don't spend the time on that, then the lenders aren't going to spend the time in actually taking it through underwriting and, and lending you the funds. Um, other than that, I think really the other big one that we, we don't see enough people doing is getting comparables. Um, I'll often go to a client and say, right, okay, well, you've got this GDV. How did you get it? Um, and they'll say, oh, well, I spoke to Joe Bloggs, the local estate agent. Okay, but have you spoken to a couple of others? Have you got a couple of other comparables? Have you been on to Rightmove? Have you got the comparables? Um, I think it's just taking that extra step with your due diligence uh, just to make sure because the lenders are going to do it anyway. So the problem is, is you don't want to cut corners to then risk losing the funding. Uh, I think if you can just take that, like I said earlier, take that extra step with your due diligence uh, and it, yeah, it just helps no end. Uh, and getting the comparables, getting the numbers right, it's, it's really, really important. Mm, totally agree and I think there's something to be said for doing that so like when you talk about polishing the numbers making sure that they are they are bang on talking to agents you know multiple agents as well to make sure that what you think is right is actually right and is verified and yeah. I don't think there's any harm in that if you talk to an agent about a potential development you know, they are there to help you. Um, some of my best yeah. deals have come through agents and still do. Um, but it gets that conversation going with the agent as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's it's all about building relationships. And if uh, talking for, I, mean, I wasn't an estate agent for very long, but actually what I would have found back behind that desk is if uh, someone had come in and asked for some comparables, you were willing to give them to them because actually there's, that end goal of well, we might get the development to sell on, um, or we might get the project to sell on. So, and again, that's another mental block, uh, another misconception is actually that people don't think they can go and talk to estate agents because they don't think they're worthy of the estate agent's time. But actually, the estate agent wants to win new business. So, if they think they're going to win that business from you, they'll give you all the time in the world. Um, and obviously, don't take the Mickey with that. But I think. Yeah, you, you've got to play on that to a certain degree uh, in order to, to get the information that you need. Um, and often, yeah, like you said, you, you use that to build a relationship, which you then use moving forward to obviously try and knock down uh, on fees when it comes to selling and that sort of thing. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's all about just keeping all the cogs uh, oiled nicely. Um, and yeah, obviously the estate agent is, is a big one. 
genuinely agree. And I also think even if you, if you I speak to multiple agents and they know that, you know, sometimes I'm not going to sell something through them, but they're still giving me advice. And I've, I've mentioned it to them before you know, and said, look, you know, I'm not going to sell it through you, but you're still giving me the advice. And it's always come back to, yeah, well, we have that relationship. It's give and take as well, because you are bringing us to talk to us. You're not taking the piss. You are being professional with us, but you're also telling us what you're doing and observing in the market. So it's like you're sharing information that they might not have picked up on or that they might not know is happening or they do and then you're reaffirming it. So I think ringing agents and talking to agents is a great thing and, um, and it, it does definitely, definitely help in your, um, in your due diligence and to bring it as a sort of polished pack to you. I'd be really interested to know what the, uh, the common errors you see when people bring you a deal to get it financed. Oh, well, I suppose the first one is the numbers. Um, without a shadow of a doubt, there's always, always errors uh, in the numbers um, because no matter how good you think you are, um, you're always going to make an error when you put your numbers together. Um, so it might be something really silly like an extra zero here or um, a decimal point in the wrong place, but it, it makes a massive difference because it's the difference between the deal stacking and not stacking. Um, so that's one of the, the big errors that we see. Um, I suppose probably another error, if you could call it an error, uh, is people trying to take on a project that's too big for them. Um, so either they haven't got the relevant experience, they, they just don't have the capability to deliver a 100-unit scheme and all they've done is, is refurb a single app, for example. Yeah. Um, and it, it's all about understanding your own uh, journey, I guess. Um, because you've got to understand how quickly you can progress forward. You've got to understand what you're actually capable of. Um, because, I, I mean, all of these lenders, I mean, they, they see hundreds of deals a day. Um, and they know what makes a good developer. They know what makes a good, good investor. So if all you've ever done is small refurbs of single lads, you need to build up gradually. You need to build that team around you. You need to, obviously, the builder you use for a single let. Is, or refurb of single let is going to be very different to the builder you would use for uh, the build of four new built houses, for example. Mm. Um, but that's a sensible jump. But even with that sensible jump, you've still got to completely rebuild your team uh, because it's a completely different project. So, yeah, I suppose one of the errors we do see is, is people believing that they can just, just make that jump a little bit too far um, and not getting the right team around them in order to make that jump. Um, and yeah, that's a big one. I think people just need to take a little bit more time to make sure that their contractor, their builder, um, everyone that they've got around them can actually deliver whatever it is that they're looking at. Um, and uh, that goes for a deal of any size, um, and for a developer or investor of any caliber. Mm, totally agree. And I mean, a lot of the times people, people want to make that, that jump and fair play to them, you know, they want to, um, they want to move on with their career and they want to do the bigger stuff. And I think then it's a really good idea to probably find somebody who's doing what you want to do and try and team up with them or, or work with them in some capacity so that you can get some experience to do that um, and then leverage off sort of their contacts. Um, I, I know that personally that's what I've done and it's worked really well for me. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really straightforward thing to do. One of the... Um, 
I know that's probably people listening to this going, yeah, well, you're talking about numbers and bits and bobs. And I know that people are always, always looking for the best way to present them. You know, everybody's got a spreadsheet. What's your advice to those people on sort of how to, to show you the numbers? Yeah, I suppose a spreadsheet does work quite well. Um, I mean, I have my own spreadsheet, uh, which I used to present deals to, to a lender. Um, it varies really because I mean, all we're doing is taking the numbers out of theirs and, and popping them into our own sort of metrics, if you like. Um, they've just got to be clear. Uh, that's probably the simplest answer is present them in the clearest way possible. Um, now that's not to say sort of dumb them down. It's they've just got to be clear so that at a glance we can understand exactly what the project looks like because there's nothing worse than, for example, someone coming to me and saying, my bill costs are a hundred thousand pounds. Okay. But what <laughs> is made up in that hundred thousand pounds? And it happens on, on every single deal pretty much is, yeah, my bill costs a hundred thousand. Okay, but I, I need to know what that hundred thousand is made up of because have you included a contingency, for example? Um, have you allowed for professional fees? Have you allowed for warranties? Have you allowed for this? Have you allowed for that? What's your pound per square foot? There's there's all these things that come into it. So that's why I say when making it really clear, don't dumb it down because actually the lenders are still going to want to understand uh, exactly what's made up within those costs. So it's a case of just present them as clearly and as openly as possible. So whether that be in a PDF document or whatever it may be, as long as a lender, broker, investor can look at those figures and at a glance understand what those figures are made up of and whether they stack, then you've presented them in the right way. Um, if you present them in a way which a lender, investor or uh, broker has to come back and ask 300 questions about have you included this? Have you included that? Have you done this? Have you done that? It, it gets very messy and it, it is a very quick turn off to a deal. Mm. Um, and I think as well as if you can break it down so that anyone could just see at a glance uh, what costs are involved, it just makes it much easier for an investor or lender to actually see that you understand what you're talking about. Because the, the other problem you've got is if you say, well, yeah, my bill costs are £100,000, but you haven't actually included a contingency, for example, it looks quite silly when you have to go back and change your figures. If you've broken it down, but you haven't included the contingency, then actually to a certain degree, the lender looks at it and goes, okay, well, actually I can see you've broken everything else down, but you've forgotten your contingency. Is there a reason for this? Is it just a genuine, I've forgotten? It just looks slightly better. You, you've given a bit more leeway if the numbers look better on paper. Um, hopefully that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it, it's just if everything's broken down, it just gives you a bit more leeway uh, if you have left anything out. Yeah, I think that makes that makes perfect sense, and I think it's really, really good advice for everybody to do to just to break your numbers down to make them as clear as possible. It doesn't need to be complicated, but it does show lenders, it does show investors, it shows you as well that you know what you're doing. Um, and to have that as a repeatable process, I think, is a really, really, really good piece of advice. And anybody listening should probably just reverse back a little bit and just listen to that bit again. Um, and yeah. then just make sure that that is included in, in your numbers, you know, to, to break it down where you're going to be spending the money. Professional fees. Professional fees is one of those 
those things that it's like for me there's a few things that really I really because I've been caught out on them before in the past professional fees I've been caught out on drainage and utilities so they are like my big three things that I cannot ever forget so I make sure that they are included in every single thing I do because I literally wake up in the middle of the night worrying about them um so I always make sure that they are included in everything. But anyway, I won't rant on about drainage and those kind of things because nobody wants to hear my sob story on drainage. But one of the things that um, I'd like to ask is, what, what do you think people can do to speed up this process of finance? Yeah, I suppose it depends on the deal um, in terms of... Yeah, what, what you're looking to do. So what you can do on a buy-to-let is very different to what you could do on a bridge or a development loan. I suppose the the simplest uh, thing you could do is just have everything prepared. Um, there's nothing worse than for a broker having to go, have you got this, have you got this, and each document taking a week, two weeks to come back. Um, so it, it gets very, very time-consuming. Um, so in terms of... Yeah, I'd say the, the quickest and easiest way to speed anything up is just have everything prepared. So whether it be that you have a Google Drive, Dropbox, whatever it may be, um, with wage slips, bank statements, all that sort of thing, ID, all kept in one place. Um, it just makes it much easier. And on a development, if you have all the planning documents, if you have all of the drawings, all the bill cost breakdowns, all the quotes, everything together, it just makes the process much slicker. Um, because there's nothing worse than, yeah, like I said, a broker having to go back and go, have you got this? A week to get that. Have you got this? Another week to get that. And it, it just drags on. Before you know it, you've lost eight to 12 weeks. The second and last biggest thing that you can do is get a solicitor that understands what you're trying to do. So when I was a conveyancer, I, I had a good understanding of buy-to-lets and residential mortgages. Never came across a development loan or bridge in the two or three years I was there. They're very different legal processes. So you need to make sure you've got a solicitor that understands the product that you're actually using. Because again, there's nothing worse than a buy-to-let solicitor trying to deal with a development loan. They're just they're, they're not going to be able to do it. And that's nothing against them. It's just a very different process that they won't be used to. And again, that can add two or three months onto a transaction. It gets very, very lengthy very very quickly um so yeah it's, it's just good to get a, a good solicitor in place um because yeah they'll be worth every penny have you got any advice on anybody on how to choose a solicitor and any advice on how to choose one did you say yeah yeah so it's a bit of a difficult one i suppose the easiest thing to do would be to go off recommendations yeah. um or just ring them and ask them um, so if you've got, it, really, it's commercial solicitors you want to be looking for for uh, bridging and development. So just ring up a couple of commercial conveyances, just ask how many bridges have you done, how many developments have you done. I'm assuming you have a good understanding of the process, that sort of thing. And if if they're coming back saying, yeah, it's our bread and butter, um, we're doing it all the time, then yeah, it's really good. Uh, they're, they're probably worth having a look at. Um but yeah, I'd say recommendations off social media or word of mouth is, is always good um, because you want to use one that someone you know has used. Yes. The other, the other thing as well is it's very easy to be put off by the cost of a commercial solicitor. Um, they can be rather 
toppy. Um, but the alternative is, is that you go with a normal residential conveyancer. Uh, and I mean, not only could you save yourself a bit of money on the fee, but you could lose the deal um, because the time scale different. Um, yeah, could force the vendor to pull out. Um, so yeah, I've seen a lot of people lose deals just because they wanted to use their family solicitor, for example. So yeah, it's just worth bearing that in mind as well. Mm, that's a really good point. I think there's more deals, not more deals fallen out of bed in legals because of the solicitor not understanding the process. Um, recently, I had to, uh, well, not recently now, but every year ago, I had to get a new, new solicitor because my uh, current solicitor retired. And um, I did exactly that. I got recommendations. I went to the agents in which I dealt with and said, you know, these were commercial agents. Which solicitor do you enjoy dealing with the best? Which one gets the deals through? Which one does that? Does Actually does it. And then they told me the name of the solicitor and I went to see that solicitor and then saw how much that solicitor charged me for a, for a transaction. And, um, yeah, I could have been put off by the, um, the fee. It was quite... Toppy, you are correct, but I've got a good relationship with them now. We've done multiple deals, and they do what they say they're going to do, um, and that's that's been great. And I also like the Google Drive or Dropbox element. One of the things that that I do every month when I've done my accounts is I put a PDF bank statement into a Google Drive folder of bank statements, so that I can just share that link automatically with with the broker if needed. Um, yeah, in your accounts anyway. You're in your banking, so just do the accounts, download them, put them in Google Drive, and they're there. And also, I, I also like what you said about the um, putting all of the planning documents and everything together, um, yeah. give, giving them the right titles so that you know you know where the file. I know when where my planning file is. I know it's there. I know what it's called but somebody else doesn't. So title it the right way so that it's easy for people to understand or create you know, a, a reference system so that people, people can find it. And I think that's a really, really good, good piece of advice from you there. So what, what goes against you getting a development loan or finance then? And, and what can you do to, to sort of help? Yeah, so the, the really the one and only thing that's ever going to go against you is experience. Um, because presumably if you're presenting a development deal, you've got the money input that you need uh, in terms of the equity. You've already got private investors lined up. Um, you've already got the builders, everything else lined up. So uh, presumably that, that deal that you've presented is sort of oven ready. Now, the biggest thing that's going to turn a lender off is going to be the experience. So it just comes back to what we said earlier is, Make sure you're making incremental steps. Um, don't take on anything that's that's too big. Um, but the other thing you can do is start to think about JVing with contractors. Start to think about JVing with people who are a couple of steps ahead of, of you. Um, they can all help in terms of allowing you to move on to bigger projects. Um, other than that, there's not really anything that's ever going to turn off a development lender. Um, I mean, even credit issues can normally get around fairly fairly easily as long as it's nothing too big um if it's too big there's not really anything you can do about it uh, other than wait for it to sort of go away um but yeah the experience thing just think about bringing on people with more experience um or 
just changing your strategy slightly and moving off uh, onto something that's of a similar size. Again, fantastic advice. I think it's um, it's perfectly logical and and also it's you know it is fun to work with other people and see what if those are the types of deals that you actually want to do you know sometimes i think in in property there's always the new sexy strategy or or whatever you know or service accommodation or developments or whatever it is but to work with somebody who does that day in day out and knows it you know they know it inside inside out then to work with them and see what it's actually about and learn from them you might not actually like that um you might not enjoy the the step up uh, for whatever reason, so I think that's a really good, good, good point from you there as well to to work with people who are experienced to to find out, you know, to to age your career, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, so, what do you think it takes to be successful in property? Oh, that's a good question. So, <laughs> there's loads of different the ones that didn't tell you about. No, exactly. I I think realistically, uh, there's the biggest one is integrity um without a shadow of a doubt um so if you try to screw anyone in property uh, it, it just comes back around to bite you from all angles so you've got to have integrity in this business um because if you can show yourself to be trustworthy good to work with you'll be presented with more deals more jvs more money that that is the single biggest thing uh, when it comes to property and and to be successful um, because if you build up a reputation as being someone who people can know like and trust yeah you you'll just be presented with endless opportunities that's an incredible answer um and i i completely agree with you um i think that's a that's yeah amazing um, so what do you do to relax then so i have this I like to ask this question to people because I think that there's a whole sort of host of um, social media posts about hustle and blah, 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 and crack on and, you know, never stop hustling and all that. And I quite like to ask people what they do to relax in their downtown. Yeah, it's a different one because actually I don't believe in this hustle and grind rubbish um i just I, yeah I, I mean the bro for me actually the brokering is quite relaxing um because i love it and i enjoy it i don't i don't work stupid hours i still have time with the kids but i suppose yeah in terms of downtime i enjoy a bit of boxing a bit of football um a bit of online gaming now and again so it's I, just all the normal stuff you would do um but yeah i suppose i, I never really feel the need to have to relax because I'm always fairly relaxed. Yeah. Um, I'm a really laid back person, so I don't, I don't sort of find myself having to go out of my way to go and relax myself because I'm, yeah, I, I never really get stressed because I never really allow myself to. Um, and that's that's down to just having supportive people around me and, um, yeah, great kids who I can spend time with. So it's, mm. yeah, I never really sort of feel myself with the need to relax really because um, I'm I'm just a really laid back person. I love that question because of the, the whole host of replies it gets. And I'm completely with yeah, you. I can imagine. I don't think you need to be, you know, hustling all the time. And I think actually by taking time off, you know, I, I don't have children. Um, but to spend time with your family, with your children, with your friends, even with your pets, 
you know, that is time that that relaxes you. And actually, if you're working, I think sometimes when you're working on something really intricate, that's actually the time where subconsciously your brain fixes the solution anyway. Um, yeah. And I think, I think you need that. So the last question before I let you go then is what's the book that you have read that you wish as soon as you'd finished it that you could forget everything that you've just read or learn about this book so that you can enjoy the magic of it again? Oh, right. That's, that's an easy one. Uh, so it's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... <laughs> um, I, won't, I won't say it because it'll have the podcast left to get down as explicit, but um, yeah, that book was great, to be fair. Um, listened to it on Audible. Um, yeah, it was great. And, and that, I think, was was what started me to just, just being so laid back. Um, yeah, great book, great book. Mm, completely agree. It's a cracking book and um, I think everybody should should give that a read. So you would oh, be definitely. absolutely incredible guest. If people want to get more information from you, if they want to find out more about you, where's the best place that they can they can get that from? Yeah, so the easiest place is, is on social media, actually. Um, so either follow me on Instagram at the Property Finance Guy um, or Michael Primrose or the Property Finance Guy on Facebook. Um, and yeah, just reach out, give me a follow, drop me a message. Um, yeah, easiest way. Fantastic. And I'll put all those links in the show notes as well so that everybody can just click a link and get straight to them. Thank you for, for coming on. You've been an absolutely incredible guest. No worries. Thank you very much for having me on.